Chapter 89 of The House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter 89 in which a certain songster treats the company to a dolorous ballad whereby mr irons is somewhat moved it seemed that mr dangerfield had taken zekiel irons measure pretty exactly the clerk had quite made up his mind to take the bold step urged upon him by that gentleman he was a slow man when one idea had fairly got into his head there was no room there for another cowardly and plotting but when his cowardice was wrought upon to a certain pitch he would wax daring and fierce from desperation he walked down to the village from the little gate of the brass castle where he had talked with mr dangerfield appointing eight o'clock next morning for making the deposition late now for all purposes but to nail him to a line of viva voce evidence when he should come to be examined on charles nutter's approaching trial the whole way along he walked with the piece of silver which mr paul dangerfield had given him gripped tight in his crooked fingers in his breeches pocket no change in his grim and sinister face no turn of the head no side glance of the eye all dark rigid and tense the mechanism of long habit brought him round the corner to the door of the salmon house the public facing but with the length of the street interposing the phoenix whose lights were visible through and under the branches of the village tree his mind wandered back to the mills with a shock and glided stealthily past the brass castle without dwelling there and he looked down the street over the bridge at the elms lay death in its awful purity at his left in the grey stone house was dr stirk the witness with sealed lips the victim of charles archer's mysterious prowess and behind lay the churchyard and the quiet little church with that vault and nameless coffin altogether the suggestions and associations about him were not cheerful or comfortable he squeezed the silver dangerfield's little remembrance with a furious strain and ground his teeth i'm like a man surrounded i wish i was out of it all he muttered with a careworn glance so he entered the public-house there was not much business doing three friends smithfield dealers or some such folk talking loudly over their liquor of prices and prospects and one fat fellow by the fire smoking a pipe with a large glass of punch at his elbow ah then mr irons and is it yourself that's in it and where in the world were you all this time said the landlady business ma'am business mrs malloy and there's your chair waiting for you beside the fire mr irons this month and more a cowld evening and we're all wonderin what in the world was gone wid ye 
this i do know how long thank you ma'am a pipe and a glass of punch irons was always a man a few words and his laconics did not strike mistress malloy as anything very strange so she wiped the little table at his side and with one foot on the fender and his elbow on his knee he smoked leisurely into the fireplace to look at his face you would have supposed he was thinking but it was only that sort of foggy vacuity which goes by the name of a brown study he never thought very clearly or connectedly and his apathetic reveries when his mood was gloomy were furnished forth in a barren and monotonous way with only two or three frightful figures and a dismal scenery that seldom shifted the three gentlemen at the table called for more liquor and the stout personage sitting opposite to irons dropped into their talk having smoked out his pipe and their conversation became more general and hilarious but irons scarce heard it curiosity is an idle minx and a soul laden like the clerk's has no entertainment for her but when one of the three gentlemen who sat together an honest but sad-looking person with a flaxen wig and a fat florid face placing his hand in the breast of his red plush waistcoat and throwing himself back in his chair struck up a dismal tune with a certain character of psalmody in it the clerk's ear was charmed for a moment and he glanced on the singer and sipped some punch and the ballad rude and almost rhymeless which he chanted had an undefined and unpleasant fascination for irons it was thus a man there was near ballymoney was guilty of a deed of blood for thravelin alongside of old tim rooney he killed him in a lonesome wood he took his purse and his hat and cravat and stole his buckles and his prayer-book too and neck and heels like a cruel savage his corpus through the wood he drew he pulled him over to a big bog hole and sunk him under four foot of water and built him down with many a thump and stone and slipped the bank out on the corpus after here the singer made a little pause and took a great pull at the beer-can and irons looked over his shoulder at the minstrel but his uneasy and malignant glance encountered only the bottom of the vessel and so he listened for more which soon came thus and says he tim rooney you're there my boy kept down in the bog hole we the force of suction and tisn't myself you'll trouble or annoy to the best of my opinion to the resurrection with that on he walks to the town of drumgool and sot by the fire in an inn was there and sitting beside him says the ghost you fool tis myself beside ye shamus everywhere at this point the clerk stood up and looked once more at the songster who was taking a short pull again with a suspicious and somewhat angry glance but the unconscious musician resumed up through the water your secret rises the stones won't keep it and it lifts the mould and it tracks your footsteps 
and your funds are prizes and it sits at the fire beside you black and cold at prayers at dances or at wake or hurlin at fair or funeral or where you may at your goin out and at your returnin tis i'll be with you to your dying day is there much more of that demanded irons rather savagely the thirsty gentleman in the red plush waistcoat was once more as he termed it wetting his whistle but one of his comrades responded tartly enough i'd like there was and if you mislike it neighbour there's the door if he expected a quarrel however it did not come and he saw by iron's wandering eye fierce as it looked that his thoughts for the moment were elsewhere and just then the songster having wiped his mouth in his coat-sleeve started afresh in these terms you'll walk the world with a dreadful knowledge and a heavy heart and a frowning brow and thinking deeper than a man in college your eye will deaden and your back will bow and when the period of your life is over the frightful hour of judgment then will be and seamus hanlon heavy on your shoulder i lay my cold hand and you'll go with me this awful ditty died away in the prolonged drone which still finds favour in the ears of our irish rustic musicians and the company now began to talk of genial themes murders ghosts and retributions and the horrid tune went dismally booming on in mr iron's ear trifling and apparently wholly accidental as was this occurrence the musical and moral treat had a very permanent effect upon the fortunes of irons and those of other persons who figure in our story mr irons had another and another glass of punch they made him only more malign and saturnine he sat in his corner by the fire silent and dismal and no one cared what was passing in the brain behind that black and scowling mask he paid sternly and furiously like a villain who has lost at play and without a good night or any other leave-taking glided ominously from the room and the gentleman who carried on the discourse and convivialities of the salmon house followed him with a gibe or two and felt the pleasanter for the removal of that ungracious presence a few minutes later mr low stood on the hall doorstep and calling to his man gave him a little note and some silver and a message very impressively repeated and the groom touched his hat and buttoned up his coat about his neck the wind being from the east and he started at something very near a gallop for dublin there was a man at the door of the salmon house who with a taciturn and saturnine excitement watched the unusual bustle going on at the doorsteps of dr stirk's dwelling this individual had been drinking there for a while and having paid his shot stood with his back to the wall and his hands in his pockets profoundly agitated and with a chaos of violent and unshaped thoughts rising and rolling in his darkened brain after low went into the house again seeing the maid still upon the steps talking with mr moore the barber 
who was making his lingering adieu there this person drew near and just as the tonsor made his final farewell and strode down the street towards his own dwelling he presented himself in time to arrest the retreat of the damsel by your leave mistress catty said he laying his hand on the iron rail of the doorsteps oh good jewel and is that yourself mr irons and where in the world were you this month and more business nothing in mullingar and how's the doctor to-night the clerk spoke a little thickly as he commonly did on leaving the salmon house he's elegant my dear beyond the beyonds why he's sittin up drinkin chicken broth and talkin law business with mr low he's talkin eh is he and mr low just this minute writ down all about the way he come by the breakin of his skull in the park and we'll have great doins on the head of it for the master swore to it and dr tool and who done it demanded irons ascending a step and grasping the iron rail i couldn't hear nor no one only themselves and who's that rode down the dublin road this minute that's mr low's man tis what he sent him to dublin wid a note i see said irons with a great oath which seemed to the maid wholly uncalled for and he came up another step and held the iron rail and shook it like a man grasping a battle-axe and stared straight at her with a look so strange and a visage so black that she was half frightened and what's the matter with you mr irons she demanded but he stared on in silence scowling through her face at vacancy and swaying slightly as he gripped the metal banister i will he muttered with another most unclerk-like oath and he took catty by the hand and shook it slowly in his own cold damp grasp as he asked with the same intense and forbidding look is mr low in the house still he is himself and dr tool in the back parlor whisper him catty this minute there's a man has a thing to tell him what about inquired catty about a great malefactor catty paused with her mouth open expecting more tell him now at once woman you don't know what delay may cost he spoke impetuously and with a bitter sort of emphasis like a man in a hurry to commit himself to a course distrusting his own resolution she was frightened at his sudden fierceness and drew back into the hall and he with her and he shut the door with a clang behind him and then looked before him stunned and wild like a man called up from his bed into danger thank god i'm in for it muttered he with a shudder and a sardonic grin and he looked for a moment something like the fine image of the wandering jew given us by gustave dory the talisman of his curse dissolved and he smiling cynically in the terrible light of the judgment day the woman knocked at the parlor door and lo opened it who's here he asked 
looking at irons whose face he remembered though he forgot to whom it belonged i'm zekiel irons the parish clerk please your worship and all i want is ten minutes alone with your honour for what purpose demanded the magistrate eyeing him sharply to tell you all about a damned murder hey why who did it charles archer he answered and screwed up his mouth with a convulsive grimace glaring bloodlessly at the justice ha charles archer i think we know something already about that i don't think you do though and by your leave you'll promise if i bring it home to him you'll see me safe through it tis what i'm the only witness living that knows all about it well what is it about the murder of mr beauclerk that my lord de norn was tried and found guilty for why all very good but that did not happen in ireland no at newmarket the pied house eh in england i know and that's out of our jurisdiction i don't care i'll go to london if you like to bow street anywhere so as to make sure to hang him for my life is worse than death while he's at this side of the grave and i'd rather be in my coffin i would than live within five miles of him anyway you'll hear what i have to say and to swear and send me safe across the water to bow street or wherever else you think best for if he has his liberty and gets sight of me again i'm a dead man come in here mr irons and take a chair said the justice dr toole was in the room in a balloon-backed chair regaling himself with a long pipe and mr low shut the door we have another deposition doctor to take mr irons here is prepared to swear informations of very singular importance irons hollo from what planet did you drop to-night mullingar sir nothing about the burning of the old woman at tyrrell's pass eh no tis an old story i don't care what comes of it i'm innocent only you'll say i kept it too long to myself but you can't touch my life i'm more afeard of him than you and with good cause but i think he's in a corner now and i'll speak out and take my chance and you mustn't allow me to be murdered by this time low had procured writing materials and all being ready he and the curious and astonished doctor heard a story very like what we have already heard from the same lips end of chapter eighty nine recording by john brandon